All right, well, tonight we are in week four of our series, Revolution Within. And uh, the, the crazy thing is, is that it's been a month since we were in week three of this series. So with you know, snowstorms and you know, Nicaragua trips and breaks and all that kind of stuff, it's been a month since the last time we've been together talking through this series. And so you are forgiven tonight if you can't remember what in the world this series has been about, or what we've been talking about, or whatever. So here's what I want to do as we get started. Just take a couple of quick minutes uh, and catch all of us up on what this series is all about. And uh, maybe it's your first time, so you have no clue anyway. So make sure that, that all of us are on the same page. So this whole series that we're in basically comes down to this. When we, when we reach that moment in our life where we put our faith and our trust in Jesus as Savior, all right, whether that happened when we were five, whether it happened within the last couple of months, whenever that moment has been where we've realized our need for God and we put our faith and trust in Him, it is so much more than just about one day spending an eternity in heaven. As amazing as that is, as true as that is, it is so much more than just, hey, one day that'll be a cool scene and that'll be a really cool thing to experience. The truth is, for all of us, I want you guys to to listen to me. For all of us, the moment that we put our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Savior, a revolution takes place within us. All right, God, through the Holy Spirit, now comes and he lives inside of us. And when that happens, everything changes for us. I mean, you think about just that thought that God is not just kind of out there or he's near, he's around us, but God now goes from out there to in here. God is now in us, with us, through the Holy Spirit, and he gives us everything that we need to live the life that he's called us to live. Now, there are four primary gifts that God gives us when we put our faith and trust in him, when the Holy Spirit lives in us. He gives us everything that we need, but there are four primary gifts that he gives us, and we've already been talking about two of them. Does anybody remember what those two gifts are that we've talked about? Huh? Yes, you do? If you know them, come on, don't be shy. All right, there we go. So the first two gifts we've been talking about are the gifts of new purity and the gift of new identity. All right? Now, the gift of new purity, what that means and what we talked about uh, a few weeks ago is that our new purity means we have forgiveness from God and we have holiness in God. And what that means is that for us, that old life is gone. We are no longer that person anymore. We have been forgiven, we have been cleansed, we have been purified from who we used to be. And now we are, we are no longer that person. But not only are we no longer that person, but we're also someone that we've never been before. We've now been given the gift of new identity. We're now somebody incredible. And what we said about that was, our new life in Christ means that we have a new God-given identity, which results in new behavior. So we have the gift of new purity. We are no longer who we used to be, but now we are someone that we've never been before. And understanding those two gifts are vital in terms of us being able to experience and live out the life that God has for us. 
Now tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about the gift, um, gift number three that God gives us. And as we, as we kind of get into this, here's, here's how I want to start tonight. I want you to think about this question. You don't have to throw out answers to me or whatever. But what is something that you have no desire for? What is something that you can't stand or maybe you even, you might even say that you hate? What is something that you have no desire for? It might be um, a subject at school uh, or school in general. It might be... um, it might be a, a food item. It might be, you know, when someone behaves a certain way or does something to you or whatever. And what, what is that? Just think of one thing. What is something that you have no desire for or cannot stand? Everybody got something, right? Why are you smiling right now? All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a second and turn to somebody to the left or right of you and just share whatever that thing is, all right? And hopefully it's not that person. All right. Man, some of you guys are really passionate about this thing that you don't like. All right, so that wasn't hard, apparently. Apparently you've got plenty of things. And um, I didn't see any punches thrown or anything, which is, which is a good sign. Now, for me, when I think of that question, what is it that I can't stand, there is something immediately that comes to mind, all right? And, uh, and it is not hard for me, just like it wasn't hard for many of you to think about that one thing. When I think about something I cannot stand or have no desire for, it is this right here, all right? Mustard. Now listen to me. I have absolutely no desire whatsoever for this, all right? Now, you can call me lame, or you can judge me, or you can, you can look down your nose upon me, but I don't care, all right? I cannot stand mustard. I don't like the taste of it. Uh, I don't like the smell of it. Oh. All right, we're going to have to close in prayer now. I'm done. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the fact that it's on my hand right now. I don't even like the color of this, all right? Even just the color is, it is repulsive to me. All right, how many of you guys are with me? You can't stand mustard. Thank you. We're going to start a support group. It's going to be awesome. Now, it does not matter what you do to this mustard. Nothing will change it, all right? You can put it on a burger or a hot dog, and it is, I will not touch that thing. I don't care how juicy that hamburger is or it looks. The minute you spread that mustard on it, I'm, I don't care how hungry I am, it's over for me. All right? It doesn't matter what form it comes in. It doesn't matter if it's honey mustard. It doesn't matter if it's Dijon mustard or some other random uh, form of mustard. It doesn't matter what you do to it. There is nothing that I can possibly think of that will make me desire that. And again, judge me if you want, but that's just, that's how I feel, all right? I hate mustard. I'm seriously gonna throw up. I need a rag, somebody throw a rag at me, or your t-shirt. Now, think back to whatever it was, that thing that you mentioned, 
or, or that thing that you, that you thought of, whatever that thing is that you have no desire for, what would it take for you to desire that thing that right now you have no desire for? What would it take? Because here's the thing, when we desire something, or more specifically, when we don't desire something, it's hard to change that. I mean, it's hard to do something about not having a desire for something. And we can force ourselves, and we can do all kinds of other stuff, but it is, it is really difficult if we don't desire something. Thank you so much. It is really difficult when we don't desire something to change that. If we are passionate about something, if there's something that we really desire, I mean, when we desire something, I mean, it, it drives, it dictates how we live or it dictates some of the things that we do or the passion with which we do those things. And so when we, when we don't desire something, it's hard to change that. Have you ever thought about the difference between doing something because you want to versus doing something that you have to? Now, for, let me give you a couple of examples of the things that a lot of us maybe have to do. All right, and I don't want to offend anybody in the room, but let's throw out school. All right, some of you guys, you love school, and God bless you, that's awesome, and I would never try to discourage you from that. Um, I'm, I'm much too nice. But there are a lot of you in the room who you look at school as something you have to do, right? So when you have to go to school, what happens? That alarm goes off at 6.30 or 5.30 or 8.30, whatever, whatever time you get up and you hit snooze about 18 times, but then you have to get out of bed and you're just mad. You don't want to go to school you're mad that the alarm has woken you up and you're mad that you have to get up and the reason you have to get up is because you have to go to school. And so you get up and you reluctantly hopefully take a shower and then you throw your clothes on and you grab your book bag or whatever and you head off to school. And then what happens when you get there? You're, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're trying to pay attention, you're trying to focus, but man, you're just forcing yourself to sit through those classes and pay attention to whatever it is the teacher's talking about. And then at some point, like Dylan apparently does, you fall asleep in every class except for lunch, right? Now, how many of you I just described your Wednesday right there? All right, some of you guys, some of you guys aren't being very honest. All right, so that's the, that's the result when we have to do that. Now, when we have to do homework, all right, what happens? We procrastinate, right? We push it off to the last possible minute we go all weekend long having fun, and then it's Sunday night at like 10 o'clock, we're like, oh man, I got like four hours of homework I gotta do. Or, you know, some of you guys, you love six hours of homework every night, um, and that's a, there's a special place for you. But for most of us, that's not the case. We, we push it off, we procrastinate, and then all of a sudden, we're cramming for that test or that exam that we've got the next morning. Or we all of a sudden remember, man, I've got an eight-page paper that I've got to write, and we're up till four in the morning the night before in order to get it done because we've pushed it off and we don't want to do it, and finally we just go, I've got to get this done. And then maybe we don't get it done or we don't do it to the satisfaction of the teacher, so we show up at school with lame excuses of why we couldn't get our homework done. 
And that's the result of when we have to do that. Some of us have to do chores. Oh, so horrible that our parents make us do chores. Maybe you've got to make your bed every day, or you've got to clean your room, or you've got to take out the trash, or you're responsible to mow the grass, or whatever it is. And so when, when you feel like it's something that you have to do, you don't look forward to doing it, what happens? You push it off. You wait. And then all of a sudden you've forgotten that mom or dad has asked you to do that, or you've conveniently forgotten and so then what ends up happening is you kind of half-heartedly do it. You're like, oh, you know, you, so you clean your room by throwing all of your stuff in your closet or throwing it under your bed. Or, you know, you half-heartedly kind of empty the dishwasher. Or you open the front door and you just kind of throw the, the trash can out and hope that it lands near the sidewalk. And that's kind of what we do because we feel like we have to do those things. See, how much changes... When we, have to, when we feel like there are things that we have to do versus things that we want to do. When we don't desire something, it impacts our behavior. And where we're going with this whole thing tonight, in case you don't know, is that translates to our relationship with God as well. And I wonder how many of us in the room tonight, we look at our relationship with God as something that we have to do. Something that we feel obligated to do. Something that's just a part of what we're supposed to do. And not because we actually desire to do so. Now, in, in order for us to get to kind of where we want to end up tonight, I think we've, we've got to stop right here and, and make sure that we establish something. Very important. And that's this. The Bible talks about before you and I come into a relationship with Jesus, we have no desire whatsoever for God. All right, in fact, we have an outright hatred for God. I mean, just as I have no desire for mustard, none of us had any desire whatsoever to pursue God. We had no desire for the things of God. Before salvation entered our heart and our life, our heart was completely wicked. And because of the wickedness of our heart, we did not desire the things of God. And it's not even a, an indifference to God. It's not like we say, oh, I can take God or I can leave him. It doesn't really matter. Like there is an outright war in our hearts about the things of God. There is a hatred of God in our heart. Our heart wants nothing to do with God. And that's, that's because of our sin nature. Now, listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 7 and 8. He says, for the sinful nature is always what? Always hostile to God. Not indifferent, not casual about God, is hostile, an enemy of God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Now, this is an important thing to understand in order for us to get to where we want to because there is a mindset in our culture and in our world that believes that the heart of men and women, the hearts of men and women are basically good. Like there is a natural desire in the hearts of people in our world to want to be generous, to want to be helpful to other people, to want to be loving, that 
that that's a part of who we are. And, th- and they would say that, you know, there's random people that kind of go off the deep end and they do crazy things. But by and large, most of us have hearts that are good. And we want to serve people and we want to do what's right and we want to help people. And maybe there are some of you in the room that kind of have that mindset or maybe at one time you did. And, and no offense to people that believe that way, but that is completely bogus. And it runs completely contradictory to what God's word says about our hearts. In fact, I would even say this, and, and maybe this would offend some of you, or maybe you guys would totally disagree with this. But I believe that before we have a relationship with Jesus, we are more likely to become serial killers than we are to become like Jesus. Now, that sounds screwed up. And that seems wrong in some ways, but I mean, that is the truth of who we are before Jesus. If we were to go either way, we have, we have the capacity more to go in the direction and become a serial killer than we do to become like Jesus. And I'm not just talking about that creepy kid at your school who stares at you funny. All right, I'm talking about all of us that that is the capacity that all of us have within us apart from Jesus, before Jesus enters the scene in our life. And the reason that that is true is because of the wickedness of our sinful nature. See, until we give our lives to Jesus, we have no shot of becoming like Jesus. Now, the dangerous thing about this whole mindset is that sometimes we feel like we can fake it, and we can kind of push through, and at some point, like, we can become like Jesus on our own. Or something else that we do, which is just as dangerous, is we, as Christians, we hold non-Christians, and we expect them to live like Christians. We expect non-believers in the world to want to desire God and to want to do what's right and to be good moral people and to love God and to understand why people would love God and to desire those things. And we think that that makes sense for us, that everybody in the world should have that desire and that longing to to become like God. And we hold that expectation over people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. But see, non-Christians don't have the desire nor the ability to be like Jesus. So you and I can't hold them to a standard of acting like Jesus that's impossible to live up to apart from Jesus. Now, that understanding is why this third gift that God gives us is such a big deal. And why it is so vital, if we're to live and experience this revolution within, why we've got to understand what this gift is and be able to embrace and live out this gift. See, here's what happens the moment that you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus. At the moment of our salvation, Jesus takes our wicked heart, that heart that is an enemy of God, that heart that despises God, that wants nothing to do with God. God comes in and he takes that wicked heart and he replaces it. And he now replaces that with a heart that beats for him. 
he takes that, that wicked heart, that, that heart that hates God, and he now gives us a heart that desires the things of God. See, this is, this is one of the things that I love when we understand this, is that God, God hasn't changed his commands to fit our hearts. God has changed our hearts to fit his commands. See, one of the things that shows how how much God loves for us and how committed he is to changing us is that God doesn't say, hey, these are the commands that I have and this is what I want for you. But because you can't measure up to that on your own, I'm just gonna take these commands and I'm gonna dumb them down or simplify them or change them so that they're on your level and so that you can somehow attain to this. And therefore muddy the waters and, and, and make God less than what he is. But what speaks to the level of commitment and the love and the willingness that God has to rescue us, God says, no, this is, this is a part of who I am. I can't change these commands. I can't require something different for you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to enter your life and your heart and I'm going to change it. So that then you can live out the commands that I've given you. God doesn't change his commands to fit our hearts. He changes our hearts to fit his commands. And when God changes our hearts, he gives us something very important along with it. Look at what Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says. Paul says, for God is working in you. Again, there it is. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So for us tonight, gift number three that God gives us is the gift of new desire. Now, you guys are smart, obviously, but here's, here's kind of a definition to, to kind of put it another way in terms of what desire means. Desire means to wish or to long for, to crave or to want. Now think about what that word means for us in our relationship with God. God takes our cold, dead, wicked heart that hates God and God replaces it with a heart, a new heart. And a heart, the, the heart that he gives us is now a heart that desires or craves or wants him. We desire God and we desire those things that bring us closer to God. And here's the amazing thing is we don't just want him. We want him more than anything else. Like he gives us the desire that is so strong in our heart and in our life that we desire, that, that desire supersedes and overrides every other desire that we have. We are now passionate about God. That because of this revolution within, obeying God has not become just our moral obligation, but it has also become our new heart's truest and deepest delight. Now, go back to the whole my hatred for mustard thing, all right? Just to dwell on that again. There is nothing that I could possibly think of that would change the desire that I have. All right, and if one of you were to come along and just say, hey, get over it, just, you know, the more you eat of it, like the more you try it, the, the better you'll like it, you'll just kind of get past it, you'll get used to the taste or the smell, 
So just, just kind of suck it up and, and eat more of it, and then you'll like it. And the only thing that I can think that that would do is make me hate it more. Like the more that I'm forced to do it, the more that I feel like, oh, I've just got to make myself do it, the more I'm going to hate it, the more I'm going to despise it. And this is going to take this to um, a level of ridiculousness that um, I just want to prepare you for. But the only thing that I can possibly think of that would make me desire this nastiness would be for me to, have, me to have a tongue transplant. All right, and I don't even know if they do that. I should look that up and Google it. Um, but that's the only thing I can think of, that if somehow, you know, some really cool doctor came along and he said, hey, we're going to cut off your tongue and we're going to replace it with a tongue that has different taste buds and that now all of a sudden that new tongue that I've been given now desires mustard. All right, now that is insane to even talk about or think about. All right, and there's no way that that could possibly happen. But that, other than that, I can't think of any possible scenario that would make me desire that. And when it comes to our relationship with God, the only thing that could make us desire the things of God is for God to jump in and to transform our heart, to replace our heart and give us a heart with new desires that want to please him. And that is exactly what God does for us. God gives us the desire to want to please him and to love him. Now, this is difficult because there are a lot of us who, um, we desire a lot of different things. Right? We desire relationships, we desire that boyfriend or girlfriend, we desire popularity, we desire you know, money or possessions, we desire happiness, and there's all of these different things that we desire. And then as Christians, we look at our relationship with God, and we know that there's benefits, we know that it's valuable, we know that it matters, and yet I think there are some of us, and maybe a lot of us in the room, who oftentimes feel like we're forcing ourselves to do something that we don't really want to do. I mean, if we were to answer the question, do I desire God or do I just kind of force myself to, to do this? I think there are probably a lot of us who feel like we force ourselves to, to live like God wants us to live. It's something that we feel like we ought to do. And maybe it's because, you know, mom and dad are telling us it's valuable, we don't want to let them down. You know, maybe it's uh, our small group leader that, you know, we know it matters to them or, you know, we don't want to let them down or, you know, we don't want to let Todd down or we don't want to let other people down or, man, I don't want God to be mad at me or, you know, I, I want, I know that he offers a better life and yet it feels like when it comes to the things of God and the commands of God, we feel like there's so many times in our life where we force ourselves to do what we don't want to do. And the dangerous thing for so many of us is that we end up following God not out of desire, but out of duty, out of obligation. We follow God more often because we ought to and not because we want to. Do 
Do you know what ends up happening when you follow God just because you ought to? At some point, you stop. At some point, you, you do things that you ought to do for only a certain amount of time. Until I get through middle school. Until I graduate high school. Until mom and dad aren't looking over my shoulder and, and I'm not letting them down because they, they see me not living it out. Until it becomes inconvenient. Until I lose the emotional high that I've got until it costs me too much. See, whatever that moment is, at some point that moment comes for us where because we feel like we ought to do it, that moment comes where we feel like it's not worth it anymore. And then we stop. And then we no longer follow Jesus. Because it was never something that we wanted to do. It was just something that we felt like we should have done. But man, when you talk about following God because we want to, it means that there's no end in sight. We look forward to it. We don't stop doing it. And even if it becomes difficult or inconvenient, it's something that we continue to do because it's something we want to do. And I think about for, for me as a dad and with our three kids. And, and you know what, what I pray for my kids more than anything else on a consistent daily basis. I don't give a rip about their success or you know, I, I, don't, I don't pray most for them to be happy or to, to be safe or you know, to even be good moral people. What I pray for my three kids more than anything else is that they would passionately love Jesus. That their relationship with Jesus would be everything to them. And as they get older and they're introduced to different temptations and different things, different struggles and different situations that pull them in different directions, often away from their relationship with God. And my prayer consistently is, God, would you transform them? Would you give them such a strong desire to love you that, that that's everything to them? Because when, that, when they're passionate about that, I mean, it dictates what they do and how they live. And when those other things try to pull them away, it's what they want to do. And so they don't allow those things to pull them off track. And I want them to passionately love Jesus. And what I want for you guys in this room more than anything else is not for you just to show up on a weekly basis. Not just for you to graduate high school without losing your faith or without doing drugs or other, those kind of things. What I want for you guys more than anything else is for you to passionately fall in love with Jesus. To the point that it becomes everything to you. And when that happens, when we live out this desire that God has given us for him, we watch this revolution take place within us. The main point for us tonight is this. God has changed our ought-tos 
into want-tos through the gift of new desire. Now, as we, as we close tonight, here, I, wanna, I want you guys to just uh, think about this question. Do I follow Jesus out of obligation? Or is it something that I desire more than anything else? Is it worth it to me to follow Jesus? Maybe there are some of you guys in the room tonight that would say, man, Todd, I, you know, I show up every week. Um, I know that you know, my relationship with God matters. I know that there's value there. Um, you know, I, I sing these songs and I, you know, I show up and I go to groups and, and all that kind of stuff. And yet, I, d- I just don't feel like that desire is there. You know, the thought of picking up the Bible or of doing some of these things that God wants me to do, it just feels like a burden. It feels like a chore. And I feel like so often I'm caught in that, in that place where it's not something I desire to do. It's just something I feel like I should do. And uh, if, if that's you in the room tonight, I think there's, there's one of, of two reasons that that's the case. Number one, maybe you don't desire the things of God because God's never given you that desire. And God's never given you that desire because you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus as Savior. And look, here's the deal. I mean, we can, you know, we're in the South. If, if you show up at church for any amount of time, you can learn real quick how to fake it. And you can go through the motions and it's so easy to do it and yet... There, there could be some of you in the room tonight that have never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so God's never transformed your heart and given you that new desire, which is why you never desire the things of God. And I'm not in any way, I'm not, you know, the kind of person that wants to constantly get you guys to doubt your salvation. But I think it's, it's a viable option if that's the place that you're in tonight. The other thing that it could mean if, if you say, man, that's the place that I'm at tonight, is it... Maybe you've, you've allowed the desire for so many other things to kind of infiltrate your life that it's kind of choked out or, or pushed down the desire that God has given you to love him and to want to follow him. I mean, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. God is living inside of you. God has given you that gift of desire, but you've allowed the world and all these other things to kind of throw themselves into your life and you've allowed the desire for those things to, to choke out or to push aside that desire that God has given you. And maybe the, the prayer that you need to, to pray tonight is, God, would you, would you restore to me the desire that I once had? God, would you allow the desire that you've given me to rise to the surface and, and to become so strong and so powerful in my life that it's, it's what I desire more than all these other things that con- constantly pull me in other directions. But man, that we would be a people that follow Jesus, not because we ought to, not because we feel like we're going to let God down or other people down, but because it is our, our heart's deepest and most powerful delight. 
that we would be like Psalm 73, 25, and 26 says. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything else on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And would we live out this gift of new desire and watch as God allows us to passionately pursue him and follow him and walk the way that he's called us to live. Not because we ought to, but because we want to. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this night. God, I thank you for, again, for the students that are here. God, I know that, um, God, there are students in the room tonight who, if, if they were to describe their relationship with God, it would be frustrating, it would be boring, it would be lifeless. God, feeling like, in a lot of cases, they just go through the motions. And they show up because they ought to. Or they do what's right because they ought to. God, I pray that you would change that. I pray, God, that you would transform our ought to's into want to's. God, I thank you for this gift of new desire that you give us. God, that we once were enemies of you, that we had no desire for you. We hated the things of God. And now you have transformed and replaced our heart and given us a heart that beats for you. God, may we be people who allow that desire that you've given us to dictate the way that we live. God, that we would be passionately in love with you. God, I pray for the students in the room maybe who have never put, in their, put their faith and trust in you as Savior. God, I pray that maybe you give them tonight a, a new level of understanding about what it means to follow you. God, that tonight everything can change for them. God, maybe they've been playing the game and yet their heart is far from you, but God, you can jump into their life and you can replace their, their heart of flesh and you can give them a heart that beats for you, that desires you. God, you can transform them, giving them a new purity and a new identity. God, stirring up a revolution within them. God, may we desire you more than anything else. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.